Welcome to Layer Zero. Layer Zero is a podcast of unscripted conversations with the people that make up the Ethereum community. Ethereum is built by code, but it's composed by people, and each individual member of the Ethereum community has their own story to tell. Cypherpunks understood that the code they write impacts the people that use it, and Layer Zero focuses on the people behind the code because Ethereum is people all the way down, and it always has been. Today, I'm speaking with Justin Drake. Justin, as we all know, is the uh, founder of the ultrasound money meme, and we go through the creation process of the meme itself, as well as how Justin Drake has moved across the different stacks, the different layers of Ethereum, first as an entrepreneur, then as an L1 dev, and now what he, what I call actually a L0 engineer, uh, a memer, if you will. Um, he is tinkering with the layer zero of Ethereum by committing himself to the ultrasound money meme. And so we start this conversation off with what does it mean to work for a meme? Uh, this is what Justin uh, Drake considers his current role in Ethereum. He's working for the ultrasound money meme. And not only that, but he's recruiting other people to also work for this meme, which is just like kind of breaks the brain uh, to anyone who doesn't really understand the role of memes in money and markets and finance. But Justin Drake definitely understands that. Uh, we also just kind of overall have an Ethereum uh, technical conversation. It turns a little bit more into a more traditional bankless podcast where we talk about, you know, a little bit more of the code than what I advertise on Layer Zero. But all of that context for, um, you know, uh, further innovations on Ethereum, staggering shards, putting oracles at the base layer, uh, all this stuff, it actually turns into, uh, towards the end of the conversation, a conversation about Justin Drake, the personality himself, his sort of rebellious nature, his lack of a nation state identity, uh, and also how that re is reflected in his kid as well, and how those values are also instantiated in Ethereum himself. Uh, and so the first two thirds of this podcast is all about ultrasound money uh, and in Ethereum, the protocol, a little bit tech focused, but then it turns into the actual personality disposition of the man himself, as well as his kid uh, and kind of the story of his life and how it relates to Ethereum. So I really enjoyed this conversation with Justin Drake. I really enjoyed seeing the man behind the meme. And I'm pretty sure you will as well. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into the conversation with Justin Drake. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that is going to completely change how we use DeFi. If you've been using Ethereum for the past 12 months, you've probably noticed the high gas fees and the slow confirmation times that have been plaguing DeFi. Too many people want to use Ethereum and it doesn't have enough capacity for all of us. That's where Arbitrum comes in. Arbitrum is a layer two to Ethereum, which means Arbitrum can increase Ethereum's throughput by orders of magnitude at a fraction of the cost of what you are used to paying. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of security and decentralization. This is why people are calling this Ethereum's broadband moment, where we get to add performance onto decentralization and security. If you're a developer and you want to save on gas costs and overall make a better experience for your users, go to developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps building on Arbitrum. Arbitrum has been working with over 300 teams, including Ethereum's top infrastructure projects, and will be opening up to all users shortly. There are so many apps coming online to Arbitrum, so you may want to pack your bags in preparation for the great migration to Arbitrum Layer 2. To get up to speed with Arbitrum, follow them on Twitter at Arbitrum and join their Discord. 
Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. All right, Bankless Nation, welcome to the third episode of Layer Zero. Here we're bringing on Justin Drake. You guys all know him as the ultrasound money man. And I feel like I think that's the, the right place to start off this conversation. Uh, J Justin, a, a fun little story for you. Um, after we recorded our ultrasound money podcast with you, me and Ryan, um, I turned to Ryan as like, this is about to change the game like forever. And every single week on the Bankless newsletter, we have like the Market Monday uh, piece, which is like a, a short little blurb to that. Usually I write write it, but sometimes Ryan writes it. Sometimes somebody else writes it, but usually I write it. And in uh, in the uh, piece, I it was the uh, the week before we were going to drop the Ultrasound Money uh, podcast that we've recorded with you. Uh, and in and so I usually write it, and then Ryan comes in and, and edits it and changes things up a little bit. And in the in the Market Monday piece, I had written. Uh, the Ethereum ecosystem, the Ethereum uh, narrative will forever change as a result of this podcast. And I, I use some like really like big language and Ryan like asked me, he, he DM'd me, I was like, are you sure you want to make some like this grand of a statement and this grandiose of a statement? Uh, and I was like, absolutely, absolutely I do. Uh, and uh, he did he did walk me back a little bit, but it turns out that that was exactly right. Like Ethereum as a ecosystem has fundamentally changed ever since the ultrasound money meme really like took storm. And it was, it was a, you know, it was a, a collaborative effort between many people, but it was really you. So how does that feel? How does it feel to be like the ultrasound money guy that like changed the trajectory of his, of, of Ethereum? Well, I guess, you know, I, I still think that we're at the very beginnings of the ultrasound money meme. I would agree with you that it has kind of rallied the Ethereum community specifically, but it hasn't grown yet that much beyond the borders of the Ethereum community. Um, I mean, there was, you know, some brief mentions on, on Bloomberg and on CNBC and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, I believe the meme will educate 100 million people. And so we're at the very, very beginnings uh, of, of that. Um, I mean, how I feel personally, I mean, the, the meme has kind of infected me. It's kind of taken over my life in, in a way, you know, like in the same way that a, a virus takes over its host, you can think of memes as, you know, the equivalent of genes that take over their host. And I, I've been taken over by this meme and I'm kind of spreading it to other people and other people are themselves spreading it to other. Um, I mean, are you like patient zero of this meme? Is that, is that what your role is? <laughs> patient zero of ultrasound money? 
Yeah, I, I think so. But, uh, you know, maybe I'm patient one in the sense that uh, Vitalik had a very, very similar meme before he invented mm. me. He, his meme was uh, supersonic money. Um, mm. And, that, mm -hmm. you know, that was good, but it didn't really catch on in the same way. I think partly because, you know, it doesn't reuse the word sound verbatim uh, as we have with the Bitcoiners with sound money. Um, so, yeah, this is kind of interesting, you know, like just like genes mutate, memes mutate as well. And you can have um, a totally kind of um, non-viral meme with lots of potential that just needs this one little mutation and that changes the game. I mean, it's a little bit like monkeys and humans, right? Where like 99.9% 99 .9 the same genetic material. It's just these, these few tiny tweaks that make a lot of difference. Um, you know, as to how I... So, so the, the supersonic money meme uh, came around before ultrasound money and you're saying it... it actually mutated into the ultrasound money meme but you 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 were the mu mutator right yeah that's correct um basically you know we were we were chatting in the telegram group and uh you know vitalik was uh was was mentioning this meme i was like oh well it, it's a good meme but it didn't really catch on and then vitalik was like hmm maybe we should try harder you know to 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 to, to mm -hmm. bring it out to the community and then like a few minutes later, I was like, ha, I've got a better version of the meme. Um, and, um, you know, from that point onwards, uh, a lot of my time has been just spent, you know, trying to make this meme a reality, I guess. Um, and, you know, I have a very ob ob obsessive um, kind of a, a personality, kind of a addictive personality. Like when, when I do something, I want to do it like right um, and really go deep. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's very different from what I was doing previously, you know, like, I, you know, when I joined the Ethereum Foundation, I was doing, um, you know, crypto economic research. And then kind of I, I went deep into cryptography and, you know, I've done all sorts of other things. But now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing something totally different, kind of going down the stack from layer one to layer two as a uh, to layer zero. Um, mm -hmm. And actually, I'd say more and more of my work is at layer zero, interestingly. So, for example, one of the things that I've been uh, doing is recruiting, right? That's something that, that just needs to be done at the Ethereum Foundation. And, and, and for some reason, um, you know, I, I've been one of the, the, you know, the biggest recruiters uh, of, the, of the, uh, the research team at the Ethereum Foundation. Um, and yeah, so recruiting, I guess you can think of the... The, the ultrasound money meme as kind of being the decentralized version of of marketing um and you know these two things kind of hr and and recruiting and marketing were things that i kind of despised and i i didn't really see myself doing these kind of roles but um you know in a decentralized context they're, they're kind of different and uh you know actually very interesting to to to, to dive into these these new fields yeah, the, the world of marketing historically has always felt like top down. It's like, here's our brand, here's our image, let's like shove it down your throat. But like in the world of, of crypto marketing, it's very much of just like an infinite amount of just like A, B tests, A, B, C, D, E, F, G tests to like figure out which one works. And the, it only ever works if like the world adopts it themselves rather than have it just like shoved down its throat by like trillions of dollars of, of ad spend. Exactly. Yeah, there's these uh, algorithms called genetic algorithms where basically you just try tons of mutations and then something sticks and then it just conquers the world. Um, and it, it feels like, you know, the, the FM community had a lot of, of previous failed attempts, you know, that kind of 
laid the ground. You know, the, the, the ground was very, very fertile in the sense that the film community was trying to find itself and it desperately wanted kind of this, this, this meme. And w- once it found it, it kind of embraced it. Um, and I, I think that's partly why it grew, it grew so fast. But, you know, again, I think it's, it's, it's still a baby meme. It, 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 is, it has to grow a bit more. So um, you're, from my perspective, you're like a genius cryptographer. You're big brains, like can code all the things, talk about all the crazy, like cutting edge technology that this industry has to offer that gets like way outside of like what I can even like comprehend. Yet you are, like you said, going from that, from layer one down to like layer zero. Why do you think that you are most suited there rather than back up at the like cryptography level? I mean, I kind of have a bit of a founder, kind of entrepreneurial mindset, kind of builder. I just like building stuff. Um, and actually, before I joined the Film Foundation, I was I was an entrepreneur and I, um, of a company. And you, you get to do everything, you know, as a as a founder. Um, and I I'm kind of this this jack of all trades in, in that sense. Um, and you know, I think part of the the reason why I like doing different things is because I'm. I guess I'm, I'm quite curious and I want to try and understand the, the, the full stack. You know, when you, when you look at uh, computers, for example, you know, the, it turns out there's like, there's like 20 stacks, right? If you go, you know, all the way down to the transistor or to the silicon, you know, all the way up to, you know, the website, there's, there's so many stacks in between. And um, oftentimes people will focus kind of on, uh, on maybe three, four, five stacks, layers of the stack. But, you know, I, I want to, I'd much rather try and get a full understanding of all 20 stacks. And I guess, you know, this is part of just my, my personal journey in the Ethereum ecosystem to try and understand every, every single layer of the stack. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. And there, every single layer of the stack has like, it's its own rabbit hole, right? With its own rabbit holes upon rabbit holes. Um, but like we say, like everything kind of always leads back to layer zero. So I kind of I think that makes sense that like, that's actually where you found yourself. Yeah, um, and actually, if you think of me as an entrepreneur, I was kind of at layer two, right? So I was, I was trying to make Open Bazaar, which is this uh, decentralized peer-to-peer marketplace built on top of, of blockchains such as Bitcoin, and then I went to layer one, and now now layer zero. And you know, it's possible that you know once once we're we're done, you know, shipping ETH two and 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 all the the good stuff there, then maybe I'll go full circle and, and go back to, to layer two and, and build something cool there. And just re maybe we'll go through this cycle like one more time. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. <laughs> so you said you kind of like work for this meme now, as in like it's kind of your, your full-time job. Illustrate that, like how, how what, what is it like to work for the ultrasound money meme? Yeah, so, you know, we, we have these two pieces of infrastructure. Like one is um, the ultrasound.money website and the other one is the ultrasound money uh, Twitter account. And the basic idea here was to try and do things as decentralized as possible. So, you know, try and, and, and get, you know, different team, you know, different uh, people uh, to contribute to, to, to join the meme. And I think I, I mentioned basically the, the story here, which is that um, I think it was at the end of your, the second Ultrasound Money Bankless podcast, I said, you know, I bought this domain, ultrasound.money. I'm looking for a team and like 10 people came in. And one of the, the, the crazy things is that I had to do zero filtering on these 10 people. All 10 people were invited to contribute. They were all very high quality. And I think part of the reason they were all very high quality is because 
in order to get to the very end of the second uh, podcast, they had to go through four hours of content. <laughs> and so mm. only like kind of the, the most, uh, you know, enthusiastic uh, people made it to, to the end. Um, and, and actually more and more people have, have started to volunteer you know, through the, through the Twitter accounts, you know, they say, oh, you know, we, we love your, your movement. We love what you're doing. How can I help? So, you know, at this point, there's maybe, you know, 15, 20 people, um, you know, who volunteered to, to contribute. And, um, you know, I think a, a lot of the work um, that we do at Different Foundation is coordination. Um, and, you know, very similar to, 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 to what Danny is, you know, really, really good at. And, uh, I'm, you know, I, I've, I've tried to help coordinate this, this, this team, but also, you know, provide kind of the, the, the initial impetus and, and, and I guess maybe inspiration to, 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 to get this, this idea out, out of the gate. With, uh, so what kind of talent has shown up at the gates? Like, uh, is it like dev talent or marketing talent? Like what's, is there any sort of through line? Like talk about all the skills that you, that has like come to the ultrasound money meme. Yeah, so um, there's quite a lot of dev, um, so you know, back end and front end, but we have also some non-dev. So, for example, there's this um, artist Rodrigo, um, who who just makes awesome, awesome art. Um, and um, actually, I think one of his pieces was auctioned on the on the Bankless DAO. Um, mm. And you know, this guy just just created you know this 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 art totally for free, and he had no expectation of financial returns and you know, he didn't even really have, you know, expectations of, you know, building much of a name for himself. He just, he was just trying to contribute and, 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 and do something interesting. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it, it turned out pretty well for him because he sold, you know, so many copies of, 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 of his, of his NFT. Um, and then I guess, you know, we've also had in the non-technical, uh, field, like, um, someone who I, I think wants to remain anonymous, who, um, basically is this this meme lord um <laughs> who you know is behind the you know a, a bunch of memes uh behind the 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 the, the twitter account that's that's awesome so how do you have goals like what is the goal of this like emergent organization like what is the goal with ultrasound money so like if it's a business and you're an entrepreneur, like what are you, what, what's on the horizon? What are you trying to go towards? Right. I mean, I think the, the KPI is like how many, how many minds can we infect? And, you know, uh, th this is largely kind of a, an, an educational thing is like, mm -hmm. um, how far can we spread the meme to educate as many people as possible? Um, and, you know, one of, one of the, the metrics that we track, for example, is, you know, what, what we call kind of the ultrasound fam, uh, the fam wearing the, the kind of the, the bat signal, which is the two emojis, uh, which, uh, you know, you're, you're the grandfather of, uh, which is very cool. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty cool. I am honored to have that spot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the fam has been growing, you know, incredibly, you know, we have uh, you know, 3,300 uh, uh, fam members, I think right now, and it just keeps on growing, you know, at a steady rate every single day. Um, and actually, if you want to compare it to, to other Ethereum memes, it's, it's pretty striking. So for example, there's this other kind of uh, Ethereum meme on Twitter, which is that you're going to use your ENS address, you know, as your Twitter name. So for example, Vitalik.eth. And so one of the things we, we did is that we, um, we went ahead and scraped all of, um, of Ethereum Twitter. So that's about 3 million accounts. Um, 
including kind of like the, the 2 million accounts that, that, that Vitalik follows. And we found about 6,500 um, ENS, uh, well, uh, Twitter accounts with, with an ENS. And so, you know, you have one of the most powerful memes, I think, in, a, in Ethereum, which is the ENS, which kind of grew to 6,500 over, over kind of four years. And then this ultrasound money meme, which kind of in just a matter of, you know, four, five, six months, grew to to over half the size that that's fantastic yeah and and so just just for the listeners that uh are a little bit unfamiliar the ultrasound money fam is if you have the bat emoji followed by the speaker emoji does it also work in reverse if if you were you also scraping for speaker emoji and then bat emoji or does the order matter so there's tons of creativity and there's lots of flexibility so it turns out there's like three different speaker emojis there's like one with three mm-hmm. lines, one with one line and one with right. zero line. People also kind of um, change the ordering. People sometimes kind of put a comma in between, kind of open bracket, the VAT, and, mm-hmm. and uh, people kind of do all sorts of, of, of crazy variations. Like, um, you know, for example, people will use the, the, the dolphin and then the, the, the speaker because mm-hmm. dolphins also mm-hmm. produce uh, emojis. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of like mm-hmm. to keep the dolphin separate for the flippening. Um, so maybe, you know, at the flippening, <laughs> we can, uh, you know, we, we, can, we can all pivot. <laughs> we can all pivot for, for a day or two or a week or two. Um, and then, you know, people change the, the actually, I, I have a, you know, um, a regular expression here on my computer, but basically like people will swap out the emojis uh, and be quite creative mm-hmm. and like people will put it in, in unexpected places. So for example, people will put the bat emoji in the location, which is something that we didn't scrape. Uh, and so now we mm-hmm. need to go ahead and, and scrape that as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't think I finished my fu- my thought, but uh, what Justin is talking about is the ultrasound fam is those that have the bat and then the speaker emoji in their like Twitter header, their Twitter name, right? And so if you are part of like the ENS clan, you have like your name .eth, and then now generally it's followed by the ultrasound money like like bat signal, which is the bat and then the speaker emoji, usually with three lines. Uh, and it's interesting to see on the ultrasound.money page, you have all of the top uh, followed accounts that are uh, uh, Twitter accounts that are followed by people who have the ultrasound money meme in their Twitter account. And so like, it's funny to see like a- Anthony Cezano actually recently flipped Ryan Sean Adams as the number one person with the most ultrasound money fam followers. But I will have to say I have the met- uh, of the, I have the highest ratio of followers to ultrasound follower fam uh, on there as well so i would like i would like people to know that uh, <laughs> but it's a, it's a fantastic way to make a fun little game about just like uh putting a personal identifier on your twitter profile which is like kind of what that that twitter biospace is for yeah i mean one of the you know wh- one of the things that we've, we've had is sometimes we've had kind of uh, spam attacks so like people like very low quality accounts like accounts that participate for example in a lot of giveaways um, add the, the bat emoji. And so we, we, we've tried to, to, to filter those off. And like w- one of the, the simplest and most powerful kind of quality metrics that we found is basically how many fam, mem- fam members does this account have that, that follow them? So we call them fam followers. How many fam followers do you have? Um, and, you know, as you can see on ultrasound.money and you scroll down to, to, to the fam, like, you can clearly see that these these these, these when you start uh, ranking the the fan members by this like the really the high quality accounts stand out 
Um, and, and, and this is true, not just for the top fan members, but kind of for, for the whole thing. Um. So um, where do I want to go with this? Uh, we, all, we all know, like, so what, do, what is the purpose of the ultrasound money meme? Like, why is that so such an important thing to, like, dedicate your time to? Right. Um, so I, I, I think part of the part of the reason is basically the realization that um, if Ethereum is not pure technology, right? There's if if you want if you want utility, if you want things like like security, if you want economic bandwidth, then the the monetary aspect plays a key role. And this is something that I think the devs, myself included very heavily under underappreciate um and so um you know what what we're basically what i'm what the meme is trying to do basically is educate people on the monetary aspects of ethereum and now why is this important the the reason it's important is because money is it is a meme, right? It's you. You need in order to achieve this this monetary premium, this this magic meme energy. Um, you somehow need to have, you know, coordination uh, across the across the community. And um, memes, which are basically just ideas that replicate, are, are ideal for coordination because basically they all program us to think in the same way. And so we're in a position where everyone knows that everyone else thinks the same way. And so we can all kind of be on the same wavelength and be coordinated around making ETH a, a monetary kind of shelling point. Um, and then, as I said, once you have this, this monetary shelling point and you, you achieve high monetary premium, you're in a, in a position where you can provide a huge amount of utility. And one of the reasons is because you can have very, very high economic security. Basically, it will be you know, impossible even for a nation state to attack Ethereum. And so, you know, some of the, the kind of code is law and immutability and, and kind of all these nice properties and lifeness and safety um, have, um, have more credibility behind them. Um, but also because ETH is used as, you know, uh, collateral money, um, the, the fact that the money appreciates unlocks uh, economic bandwidth. And so, you know, if you look at, uh, for example, Ma MakerDAO, you know, it, it's actually in a way disappointingly small. You know, there's only, quote, only 6 billion DAI um, that, are, that are out there, you know, especially when you compare it to, to a system like USDT, which has 10 times the amount, you know, 60 billion. And, you know, one of the, the key limitations is that we need this trustless collateral and we need, you know, a hundred more times, a thousand more times more collateral. Um, and the only way to get, you know, a thousand more times more collateral is for the, the, the token to, to gain this, this monetary premium. So uh, here's, here's a question that I don't, I don't think has been asked before. Um, do you think the existence of the ultrasound money meme will has or will impact the genie coefficient of ether Oof. um 
So that's a hard question to just like come out of left field with you at. <laughs> okay, so so while you think, I'll kind of explain the Gini coefficient to, to users. Uh, the Gini coefficient is just a measure of like the distribution of ether or, or any currency or any unit ever, right? And so if you have a uh, strong Gini coefficient, I can't remember if the number is high or low, uh, it's a measure of how concentrated ownership over a certain supply of things are. Um, one of the best things about uh, the Ethereum ICO, regardless of what Bitcoiners will say about it, is that the ICO actually allowed the Gini coefficient of Ether to be pretty strong for a, a, an asset that you know was just birthed. Usually assets that are birthed have a terrible Gini coefficient because they're in the hands of a few. But the ICO was a mechanism to distribute Ether into the hands of many, many people, which is really, really important if we talk about the properties of money. It's good to have money distributed because as we all know, like it's easier to get people on board on a particular money if more people have it. Um, do you think, so yeah, so back, back to the question, do you think like this ultrasound money meme has impacted the future current or state of, or the future state of the Gini coefficient of ether? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think to, to large extent, um, kind of early adopters don't need much more further conviction. You know, they already have extremely high conviction. And um, I think the the meme maybe it, it kind of crystallizes, expresses kind of an intuitive feeling that they had um, and kind of mm. con confirms. And so in, in, in that sense, it, 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 hopefully, you know, it, it might not um, make these, these kind of early whales, uh, you know, n not want to sell. Uh, and, and anymore that they they, they they previously did not want to sell. Um, I mean, one of the things that I'm that I'm hoping is that uh, kind of the the meme brings on you know many many more people, um, and especially give them access, for example, to very fresh uh, revenue sources, which are which will which will lower the 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 the, the Gini coefficients and in particular you know um staking so mm. you know with with staking we're in a position where uh we can really distribute eth to many many people um and 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 you know w one of the reason is because the the barrier to entry to to staking is so low that anyone can participate um, and the other reason is that the profit margins are very, very high. So basically, when you combine these two, anyone can come in and anyone can enjoy the fruit of, of staking, then basically this, this, this new issuance is kind of going to dilute, dilute the, 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 existing, um, the existing holders. Um, and I guess a, a, another aspect of, of, of this dilution and redistribution is basically from those who use the network to the stakers. And the reason is because part of the transaction fees will, will not be burnt, kind of the, the MEV portion. And so that is another force towards circulation of, of, of funds. Yeah. Do you think that um, the concept of proof of stake as it's applied to Ethereum impacts the Gini coefficient or is it kind of a wash and it's just kind of doesn't actually impact it all that much? Tough questions, huh? <laughs> right, right, yeah. No, th these are questions I'm just kind of thinking up on, on the fly, but I think they're, they're, they're interesting to ponder about. Mm. Okay, so, I mean, 
be, because you know again for the same argument because because staking is is really open to all and because the the profit margin is so high then then we have this 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 natural uh, kind of redistribution of things um yeah it, it's it's it, it's it's very very hard to tell basically um what percentage like the existing holders will be staking like one of the policies that we have at the at the Ethereum foundation is that um we basically want to be staking roughly as a percentage roughly what is currently being staked so for example if there's 10 percent of all ETH that is staked um then the Ethereum foundation would like to stake about 10 percent and 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 mm -hmm. And the the reason we we kind of have this this kind of unofficial policy is because it, it gives us kind of neutrality. We're not we're not favored. You, you know, we're not biased in one way or another to, uh, towards staking. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the 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 question is, you know, are are these these large holders staking more or less than the average? Um, and uh, you know, actually, you know just just the you know personally i'm i'm staking actually a little bit less uh than, than than the average so there you go what's the incentive why aren't you staking all of your ether like why why haven't you just aped all the way in um i i think part of the reason is that when you make the sausage you, you know how it's made <laughs> 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 and um you know there's there's uh there's a bunch of, of of tail risk, you know, that is that is that is difficult to to, to quantify. You know, one one of the things that I've that I've been um, doing at the Ethereum Foundation is is trying to build as as quickly as 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 we as we can, basically a dedicated security team to really harden uh, the, the the beacon chain. So um, I, I think we're going to provide a little bit more, you know, transparency uh, through blog posts and things like that. But um, basically. You know, whenever you have new software, um, especially when you have you know four different clients and and quite a bit of complexity, you know there's, there's bound to be bugs and vulnerabilities and things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we're we're in a privileged position with with the with the beacon chain where, as far as we can tell, no attacker has really like no black hat attacker has tried to to, to break this. So, um, you know, we 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 have had you know a, a quite you know significant uh, number of, of, of reports from, from, from white hats and we've been, you know, fixing and, you know, things are definitely getting much, much better. You know, like the, the frequency of reports is going down, the severity of the bugs is going down. It's more and more kind of edge cases that are hard to trigger and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, in, in, in general, like, you know, security is you know, one, one of our, our big goals and um, where, we're working as, as, as fast as we can to get security to a high enough level where we can actually do the merge, right? It would be totally reckless to do the merge if we don't have high confidence in the beacon chain. And this confidence is, is, is uh, in increasing uh, very rapidly. So I, I've been asking a lot of questions about Ether, Ultrasound Money, and Ethereum, and I actually want to kind of revisit the layer zero aspect of this podcast, which is more about you, you the individual, but also keeping in theme with the ultrasound money meme, you, you talked about how like the, the importance of the ultrasound money meme is to secure Ethereum, right? E the, the value of Ether implies the security of Ethereum. 
that is good for everyone that's building on top of Ethereum. Therefore, the role of somebody who's working on the ultrasound money meme, it becomes really, really important. It's like if, if you are focused on securing Ethereum, you might actually step away from the code and actually start to work on the memes, which is kind of sounds like what you've done. And I kind of think that that is a expansion or an extrapolation of kind of like the original cypher, cypherpunk vision, right? Cypherpunks used to be all about math and code and cryptography, except now the role of what a cypherpunk is with the emergence of crypto economics has expanded into new realms. It's like unlocked new territory that it comes into. So I kind of think of you, Justin, as like a leading new age cypherpunk. How do, how do you feel about that that label? Yeah, I mean, it's a very grandiose label and, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I'd put it on myself. But yeah, I'd agree that, you know, the <clears throat> the economic aspect has has unlocked kind of this, this new design space. And actually there's, there's kind of these impossibility results. There's, there's certain things that you, you, we just can't do with cryptography alone. And so we need to make these concessions, right? Like when, when we have this, uh, you know, the, the protocol sync thesis, cryptography and math are like, one of the lowest layers, you know, they're super robust. And then you have, you know, have like the more mushy layers, which is the, the economics. But, you know, having the, 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 these two layers combined, like the really hard layer and the, the, the mushy one gives you like these, these, these superpowers. Um, and uh, yeah, this, this is something that I've, I've only, you know, appreciated, you know, I guess relatively recently. And, uh, and I mean, I guess one of the reasons why why I'm I'm working at this layer is because there's there's a little bit of a, of taboo and, and resistance, I guess, from other technical people. You know, it's uh, I feel like I'm in a, a unique position to be doing the work that I'm doing, partly because no one else is really keen to do that that work. You know, it, it's kind of seen a little bit as as dirty work. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I kind of see it as, uh, as, as, as very important. We, in the bankless world, we often use like the pioneer as a metaphor. It's like, come on, we're all going west. Like grab your favorite leader and, and, and go west with them. It sounds like that you are try- specifically trying to be like the pioneer for the other like code and math and technical minded people, specifically trying to like corral them and being like, no guys, like this is the way, this is where we're going. Like let's, let's all go westward. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, it's not like I, I kind of pioneered and completely invented the, the, this, this, this idea that the memes are super important. You know, like uh, it turns out that the, this goes back, you know, even to, to gold, right? Gold is just to a very large extent just a meme and, and Bitcoin took it to, 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 to an extreme, you know, like really emphasizing the, the, the memes. Um, and, um, you know, I... I I, you know, you, you know, in the Bitcoin land, there was this kind of this debate, should we do small block, big block? And I think uh, both sides have, have very, very good arguments, you know, on, you know, and, and, and I think the, the, the big mistake of Bitcoiners is, is thinking in very um, kind of black and white is, is like either, either one or the other, but it turns out that it, it, it's both, right? Like we want the transactional utility and you know how do we get this transactional utility we get it with scalability with privacy um you know with uh, programmability um with economic bandwidth and all and all these things um but you know in in, in addition kind of to the raw transactional utility you also want kind of the the the, the monetary premium 
and, and, and all the memes. Um, and, and, and these things are actually symbiotic. They reinforce each other. Um, and the reason is that in, in, in order to achieve monetary premium, you need to distinguish yourself in some way or another. And like one way to distinguish yourself is basically to have like to maximize utility. If you are like, you know, the, the, the substrate for the internet of value and you're settling, you know, the world economy, then, you know, you become the natural shelling point to become uh, the, the, this, this, this money for, for the internet and vice versa. You know, once you, once you've achieved this monetary premium, as I already mentioned, that provides utility for the utility in the sense that mm-hmm. it provides security and economic bandwidth. After like having our first and second podcast with you, the, the first being moon math, all about cryptography and the second being all about ultra ultrasound money. My mind has actually kind of become convinced that like, the only viable crypto economic system is a smart contract enabled system to, which promotes utility and actually promotes like the reasoning for using the thing in the first place. And then also proof of stake because it's also the, you know, the system that requires the least amount of operational costs to secure. And so I feel like if we, if we go in through and uh, we're living in a simulation and we run through all of the possible simulations, we will end up at a smart contract proof of stake system every single time. Do you agree with that? Um, so it turns out there's like some technical reasons as to why, for example, smart contracts are not necessarily fully required. And the reason is because once you have the data availability layer and once the blockchain mm. has one single functionality, which is the ability to verify snarks, you can do everything because you can do ZK rollups. Um, but, you know, I guess that's just a, a minor technical detail. I guess the other... But is that, is that also the future of Ethereum in your mind? Is that where we're going as an ecosystem? I think it's definitely possible. Like, um, the reason is that, um, you know, in the, in, the, in the short and medium term, we're taking this... this this roll-up approach, and I, I believe that you know the long-term winners are going to be the the the, the zk roll-ups. But um, like one of the, the 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 very very so one of the problems with with Ethereum, which is one of its greatest strengths, but also one of its weaknesses, is the EVM. The EVM is has so many many quirks, and it's it's arguably you know badly designed in, in many many different ways. And you know each of these ways are not a deal breaker, but there's like a laundry list of 200 issues with the EVM and, and they start to, to add up. Um, and so, you know, one of the things we've been um, looking into is like, is there a replacement for the, for the EVM? And it turns out that once you have snarks, you can basically um, have arbitrary VMs. So, and, and this is something that we're starting to see. Like, for example, um, Starkware came up with... Uh, with, with, with Cairo um, and, and kind of their own VM. And then, you know, like there's the, the Matter Labs, they have their own ZK Sync. And then, and, and so in, in, in theory, at least, you can take any VM, for example, Wasm, and then you can snarkify it. And then you can snark, start running it uh, on the EVM simply by, um, by verifying the snarks. And so this, this, this has actually two advantages. One is that you get the scalability of of ZK rollups, you know, you just have to verify one single stock, uh, which is very, very cheap. But the other advantage is that you get to escape the EVM, right? You have, uh, it's, a, it's kind of this 
this this wormhole that allows you right. to go explore a different world. It's like a portal into a different VM. Right. Exactly. So I think this is definitely a possible future. One of the things that we're you know heavily considering is basically um, if and when we have a VM which really stands out, for example, is really, really snark friendly, meaning that it has very, very good performance in this snarkification world. And it has all sorts of other advantages. Maybe it's you know, more dev friendly like Wasm, or maybe it's more friendly to formal verification, or maybe it's more friendly to optimistic approaches or whatever it is. Then we can take this, this awesome VM and kind of enshrine it at layer one. So that could give us you know, various advantages like um, you know, a natural shelling point to avoid you know, uh, too much fracturing of, of the ecosystem. Um, it could provide lower latency. It could maybe provide better security guarantees. It could provide maybe uh, performance optimizations. There's all sorts of things that get unlocked once you're happy to enshrine a VM. But I think at, at this point in time, we're very, very happy with the situation we're in where we have the EVM. Okay, it's not perfect, but you know, it's, it's the natural shelling point for all smart contracts in, you know, way beyond uh, Ethereum. And so there's this very powerful network effect. DVM is good enough in the sense that it unlocks all these, these parallel worlds that you can go explore through snarkified VMs. And then maybe in the more distant future, we can enshrine a really awesome VM. Uh, maybe have you know, one instance running per shard or something like that. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the conversation with Justin Drake so far. Coming up in the second half of the conversation, we talk about both Ether and Ethereum's march towards capital efficiency and what that means for the holistic system if we always are going towards more and more efficiency. We also talk about the quantum computing threat as it relates to both Ethereum, but also more importantly to, towards Bitcoin as the thing that can't really adapt or change or overcome obstacles. Um, and then we also talk about what Justin Drake thinks about the current state of the layer zero of Ethereum and also where he thinks it's going to develop into the long term and where he hopes it develops into the long term. We also talk about layers three and layers four, what those are and how they relate to the layer one and the layer zero. Uh, I thought that was a particularly interesting uh, uh, topic of conversation and there's a, a call to action to any graphic designers who are interested in in illustrating this concept in a, in a, in a actual design that we can actually like all look at. Uh, so there's that. Uh, and then we also talk about Justin Drake's kid and also Justin Drake himself and his lack of identity with any one specific nation state or any one specific culture and how that is a result of how he grew up and how that relates to what he works on on Ethereum. He has a distaste for politics, yet we all know that governance is a part of this thing. So we parse apart those details. We also talk about Justin Drake's non-laptop related hobbies and turns out he likes to tinker on the piano and even that has something to talk about as it relates to Ethereum. So I hope you guys are enjoying this conversation and the second half of the show in my opinion is even more fun than the first. So let's go ahead and get right into it. But first a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure that you are getting the best possible price on your trade and that you aren't paying high gas costs that you could have otherwise avoided. That's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible prices without taking any commission. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your order across 
across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single easy to use platform and that has even saved me multiple times from accidentally picking the wrong decks to trade on and accidentally getting a bad price. Matcha also allows for you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. New to Matcha is an integrated fiat on-ramp so you can purchase crypto directly with your credit or debit card and have that fiat be instantly traded for any token that has liquidity. When you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Living a bankless life requires taking control of your own private keys. Not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their Ledger hardware wallets, which makes proper private key management a breeze. But the Ledger ecosystem is more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet and the Ledger live app. And if you're used to seeing all of your crypto services and favorite dApps all in one place, Ledger is where you want to be. Not only does Ledger let you buy crypto assets straight from the app, but it also hooks into decentralized exchange aggregators like Paraswap, which makes sure that you are getting the best prices on your trades without your assets ever leaving your control. DeFi never stops growing and the Ledger Live app grows alongside with it. So click the link in the show notes to see all the DeFi apps that Ledger Live has and stay tuned as more and more apps come online. And if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, what are you even waiting for? Go to ledger.com, grab your ledger, download Ledger Live, and get all of your dApps all in one place. So I, I know that there's a small ideological debate going on between, I think, you, Vitalik, and a few other other core Ethereum contributors about like the long-term expressivity of Ethereum. Uh, I remember you, once upon a time, uh, submitted a, an EIP to instantiate the ETH price at the protocol level. Uh, and then also uh, in our episode, our first cryptography moon math episode, you talked about like staggering all of the shards so that there's one shard uh, making it uh, finalizing every like one second. So you actually get really quick finality over time. And so like you seem to be at looking towards Ethereum with, with kind of like a, a high touch approach. Let's let's just turn this like machine that we have into the most like decently complicated, well-oiled, like fantastically like capable machine where others, I think Vitalik is more in the camp of just like, let's just, let's just make it what we need and then stop touching it. Um, do you see this as a future uh, issue that, that some of the core Ethereum contributors are going to have to like get into a table and like discuss about what they want to do or, or where does this story go? Yeah. So just a couple of things. Like one is that, uh, you know the the stacker egg is something that this this consensus on. I you know I think we're we're gonna go. Oh okay, I didn't yeah, know that. There's something is we're likely gonna go ahead with. Um, I mean, actually, there's 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 I think much more alignment than 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 you kind of portrayed it there. Uh, I think mm, okay. I think everyone wants maximum simplicity and basically just build what's enough. And so I think everyone falls into the Vitalik kind of camp and philosophy. I think the real debate is, you know, what do we really need? Um, and like one of my one of my heuristics, I guess, is that if if you can't do it at layer one, we should very very seriously consider doing it at. If you can't do it at layer two, very seriously consider it doing it at layer one. And trustless oracles is it turns out to be one of those things. Like as far as I know. 
there's there's no really like fully trustless way of of doing oracles at 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 layer two. Like the best that we have is Chainlink, and you know while Chainlink might be kind of good enough, you know, in the short and medium term, is it really kind of the long term technical solution that we want? You know, to to power you know stable coins like you know liquidity and 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 stuff like that. I mean, mm. I I think the answer is maybe it's good enough, but it's not a convincing answer. And um, and so you know, on on the other hand, we, you know, we don't want uh, to enshrine all oracles on layer one. It doesn't make any any sense. And so really, what you want to be doing is you you want to look at this kind of this long tail, and you want to you want a solution with with like kind of one percent of the complexity that gains you eighty percent of the value. And I think if we were to enshrine one single oracle, it would probably be kind of the ETH USD uh, price. And it, it turns out that uh, you can kind of leverage the the, the 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 basic security assumptions that we're making at 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 uh, layer one to get an oracle with very very similar security assumptions. And so if you're using Ethereum um you don't have to pay more in terms of security assumptions if you want to use this oracle uh, whereas if you're using chainlink now suddenly you have two assumptions one is you 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 you're paying the 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 platform risk of, of ethereum but you're also paying the the platform risk of 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 chainlink um so you know how how would the US dollar price of of ether actually become uh, instantiated in the protocol how what's the uh, technical process behind that Right, so you know, w- w- one way to do it, for example, is, is with committees. So we have this, for example, this honesty assumption in Ethereum, where we assume that you know half the stake is honest. And what we do um, is that we we sample committees which are large enough to be static- statistically representative of the wider population, and then these committees of so-called attesters um, are going to go vote. On, on various things. Mm-hmm. And we basically assume that if, if the majority of, of the committee members vote on something, then that's reflective of, 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 of the wider population and it's kind of true. Um, and so we could have these committees basically vote on what they think is the price of, of US dollar. I mean, the, the, the big problem here is that basically the, 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 the price of, of ETH in, in US dollars is, is subjective and, and, and kind of, one of our design goals is to be kind of World War Three resistant, and there's kind of some of these edge cases where, like, there there is legitimately a, a definitional question as to what the USD is. So, for example, in Argentina, there's kind of um, there's the kind of two market rates for the Argentinian peso. There's kind of I forget what it's called, but like blue market and black market or whatever. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you're, if you're in a situation where, you know, the, the, the U.S. economy goes crumbling, there could be a lot of chaos. And we don't want this kind of chaos around the U.S. dollar to be a systemic risk for, for, for Ethereum. Um, right. I mean, that's... Ma- There's also the topic of just like the U.S. dollar is an arbitrary anchor in of itself, right? Like the choice to include the dollar is also subjective in the first place. So I think maybe, maybe the big debate behind this thing is like, do we even include subjectivity into the layer one at all? Right, exactly. Um, like the, 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 the simple approach, the purest approach is to say just no subjectivity whatsoever. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like, 
I mean, if you if you look at uh, at a d- deterministic virtual machine, it, it it's it's extremely powerful, right? It's too incomplete. It's too incomplete. You know, it, it has everything, but actually, it doesn't have all the superpowers that you want. And more specifically, it doesn't have the oracles. Now, there's there's various types of oracles that are very very familiar to a computer. Like if you if you take a phone, for example, it's aware of things like what is the time. It's it's also able to gather randomness. It's also able to you know gather, pick up the temperature or whatever. Now, in the context of you know um, decentralized finance, for example, and, and and the Internet of Value, knowing what the time is is very important. Um, having access to randomness is very important, and the blockchain being aware of its own price, I would argue, is also very important. I mean, we are, we are definitely improving in terms of these oracles. So, for example. EIP-1559 gives us an oracle. More specifically, it gives us a, a base fee oracle. So basically, the block, the EVM is aware of itself as to how valuable its block space is. And I think we need to... In Ether terms. In yeah. Ether terms, exactly. And so we, the more we have like these really you know, important oracles, I think the more complete the, the, the EVM will be. Interesting. That's a fantastic. Are there any other like parts of like the Ethereum future roadmap that is are kind of like up for debate as it comes to like high touch versus low touch styles? Mm, right. Um, I mean, I, I think one, one thing that we have a kind of consensus on is that we need to do a quantum upgrade. This, this, it's non-negotiable. Mm. I mean, some some people will say, oh. And I mean, this is a, a diminishing population, but some some people will say quantum computers will never arrive. They're kind of skeptics. And our position is that even in that scenario, which is not the, the consensus within kind of quantum physicists, that we still need protection against quantum computers. And the reason is because that blockchains are meant to be these ultra conservative pieces of infrastructure. And, you know, we need at least kind of 10 years of heads up in order to do all the upgrades, because these things are very, very slow to upgrade, especially if, you know, in, let's say, five, 10 years, you know, Ethereum has a $10 trillion market cap, it is going to be especially difficult to, to change it. And so this is one of the actually high touch kind of things that we, that we need to do, like taking out the guts, um, the cryptographic guts and changing them for, for um, post-quantum cryptography could, could have uh, quite, quite big consequences. In terms of where there's still kind of um, debate, I mean, one of the, the big ones which, which we, we talked about is basically, do we want to enshrine a, a, a VM um, other, other than the, the EVM? Um, and I'm, I'm leaning towards yes. And part of the reason why I'm leaning towards yes is that... Um, you know the, the the power of innovation is, is 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 so huge, and we've only just scratched the surface in terms of VMs that are custom designed for for blockchains. Um, and you know we've also just scratched the surface in terms of VMs custom designed for snarkification and 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 for more verif- verification and things like that. And so I'm I'm optimistic that uh, you know in 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 five ten years time the EVM will look completely outdated, and it will kind of be mm. kind of it will kind of be stupidly obvious. There'll be this natural shelling point that yes, 
this is this is like 10 100 times better and we should just all adopt adopt this new thing and enshrining it at layer one will will ha help achieve this 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 shelling point um i mean another thing that you you brought up is you know this 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 idea of a parallel universe where um you know proof of stake is a necessity because it's the most economically efficient eip 1559 is a necessity because it's the most economically efficient um and it turned, it's, it's, it's definitely possible that we'll find ways to be even more economically efficient than we are today. And like um, one, um, one possible way to do that would be to find a way to, to burn the, the MEV. Um, mm. Now, it, it, this is kind of a, an alpha leak. I don't know when your, <laughs> when your podcast will go out, but... You got three weeks, three weeks. Okay, so in, in three weeks, it will definitely be published. So basically, we have this uh, this kind of MEV intern, um, which we hired kind of uh, um, th three months ago, and it's quite possible that he actually cracked MEV, <laughs> which is a huge. That is a that's a massive statement. <laughs> Cracking MEV. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So basically, it's like that's like stuff that dreams are made of. Oh yeah. Um, kind of totally out of left field, he came up with this super simple kind of genius idea um, to basically do what's called MEV smoothing. So like the big, the big problem of MEV is that it, 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 it's highly volatile and spiky. And this spikiness um, basically um, is a liability for the security of the consensus layer. And so if you can smooth out the MEV, suddenly it starts becoming very similar to issuance, right? This, this grade A fuel, which you can, be, you can rely upon uh, and it's kind of injected at, at a constant um, rate. And so basically his idea is when you produce a block, like all the MEV shouldn't go to the block pr producer. It should actually go to all the validators that help get this block on chain, namely the block proposer and all the committee members that are voting to include that to basically attest for, for this block. And so you're in a position where actually the MEV is spread out, it's kind of smoothed over the, 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 the whole committee. Um, and so, um, you know, that actually turns MEV from a liability into an asset, right? Um, from a security standpoint. Um, so it's... Because it's, it just, it just turns into staking yields, right? Yeah, it turns in, in, into something very, very similar to, to issuance. Um, so right. so it, MEV today is already staking yields, but it's like highly volatile yields. Um, and, and, and this volatility basically incentivizes uh, reorgs and forking and, 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 and very you know, kind of nasty things. Once you're in a position where you, you, you smooth things out, then it's, it's kind of the really the, the the position you want to be in to to maximize uh, security and this uh, so another consequence of of this idea is that potentially we could burn the mev so we'd be in a position where the protocol um kind of has some knowledge you know very similar to this oracle idea right the not only is the evm aware of the base fees but it's also aware of how much mev there is because it's capturing it and spreading it to the whole committees. And so we're potentially in a position where we can burn the MEV. And so we could take kind of the, the ultrasoundness as it were to the next level 
where um you know right now like the the the, the data suggests that the the fee burn is around 70 percent so of all the fees we're burning 70 percent well maybe we can burn this extra you know 30 percent as well so we can approach a hundred percent of the burn rate of transaction fees yeah potentially um I mean, I don't want to oversell this right now because it's still kind of uh, right. uh, early research. But uh, yeah, I, I, at least the, the, the aspect of um, turning MEV from a liability to an asset um, seems very, very promising. Mm -hmm. And there'll be an e, uh, e research post uh, coming soon. And this, this kind of speaks to like the, the DAO nature of Ethereum. Da the, the word DAOs are, are kind of misused when we talk about them nowadays, like Bankless DAO, Uniswap DAO, not a DAO, just a digital organization. The only two DAOs that I think are truly functioning at this point in time are Bitcoin and Ethereum. Those are the DAOs, as in they are decentralized and they're autonomous and there's some emergent bottom-up organization. And like the, the direction of the Ethereum DAO tends to always go towards efficiency, right? And so if you're telling me that we like, we're working towards efficiency and security, and this is just another innovation that we've been able to unlock, that lends towards that idea. And we all know that like DeFi is on an, an, a relentless march towards capital efficiency of the assets that finds that find themselves inside of DeFi. And so like, to, to, and so like going back to that, like if we run the simulation over and over and over again, the block the crypto economic system that makes it that you discover whatever we call it ethereum or whatever name we want to to name this in the, these different universes the number one thing that you will find inside of every every uh, trial of the simulation is that each economic system gravitates towards efficient maximum efficiency every single step of the way yeah absolutely i mean another way to rephrase that is just trying to absorb innovation as much as possible um, and I think one of the, the killer features um, of Ethereum is, uh, you know, kind of Turing completeness is this, this awesome innovation sponge, right? And the reason is that you can, you can build any program you want on the EVM. Um, but yeah, like uh, the, 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 the other aspect of this innovation sponge are, you know, the, the throughput from a data standpoint, you know, we're improving that greatly with... Um, <clears throat> with uh, sharding um there's also the, the the economic security aspect which we we've talked at length and we're improving and then there's also the monetary aspect which we've talked at length and it turns out that you know in 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 each of these these four kind of uh, directions we're, we're just making incremental progress um and we're, we're we're very very open to to absorbing absorbing the innovation um and i think that's that's partly kind of uh, i think one of your previous questions was where, for example, is there disagreement within the EF? And I think that there is some disagreement is as to when, you know, Ethereum will be considered kind of done. Like my, my kind of gut feel is that we've only had 13 years of blockchain innovation and there's, there's at least another 20 years of very, very fruitful kind of exponential kind of innovation. And that... Um, you know, most likely Ethereum won't be kind of, you know, totally done, uh, you know, anytime, anytime soon. Um, and, you know, like the, 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 the quantum threat aspect, one of the good things about it is that it, it's, it's widely accepted. And so e even the Bitcoiners kind of accept it, you know, kind of the ossification maximalists will, will accept it. Um, and so it's, it's, I think 
that might be kind of one of the last times where we do it. So if we assume, for example, that quantum computers will arrive in 30 years, or let's say 25 years, then in, in, in let's say in 15 years, um, this will be kind of our, our last chance to get all, all the good gadgets that we want. And it, thanks to this, this kind of forced, massive revamping of the system because of quantum computers. Right. An external ice age, if you will. <laughs> right, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You said that even Bitcoiners tend to accept the quantum threat. Um, Nick, have you heard of Nick Carter's FUD dice? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I love his FUD dice, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, but he has quantum quantum computing on the yes, FUD dice. Yes, absolutely. So, why are they on the FUD dice if you say that Bitcoiners are generally uh, accepting of the quantum threat? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, I think the the reason why it's on the FUD dice is because Nick Carter is myopic, and the reason that he's myopic is that he only thinks kind of 10, 20 years into the future. Like, you know, another kind of similar mm. issue is the the, the low issuance. Like, okay, low issuance is not really a big deal. You know, we'll just kick the can and we'll think about it in, in, in 20 to 30 years. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that, that that attitude is actually okay if you're happy to embrace innovation because basically you're saying if there is some massive innovation in the next 20 years, which is very, very likely because we live in this exponential innovation world, um, then we can just go grab the fruits and, and do the upgrade. Um, but... You know, you can't have this, this, this relaxed attitude if you say that, you know, whatever was created on day one is what we're going to have for the rest of time. Um, I mean, when, when I say that quantum is accepted, it's like I, I don't think the, the stance of the Bitcoin technical community is that quantum computers will never come. Hence, it's not a threat. I think they, they do acknowledge that they will come. Um, but the reason why they consider it FUD is because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's so far in the distance. And in, and in that sense, they're a little myopic. Interesting. To me, if you put uh, quantum computing on the FUD dice and you think that Bitcoin can overcome that via technological changes, like you're committing to a hard fork. Do, would you agree with that assumption? Yeah, I mean... You can do all sorts of crazy gymnastics with soft forks. You know, if, if that's the technical distinction that you're, you're, you're putting forward. Mm. Um, so, you know, soft forks and, and hard forks are not too dissimilar in, in, from a capability standpoint. But yes, like some sort of massive fork that radically changes Bitcoin. Yes. Um, and not just from a technical standpoint. It, it's also fundamentally a social thing. Why is it a social thing? The reason is that there's lost coins and we need to decide what to do with these lost coins. Like part of the, the Bitcoin ethos is we're not gonna do any kind of rescue. And actually this is very, very similar to the DAO, right? The, the problem with the DAO was that you had one single entity, the DAO attacker, which had control over, let's say, I forget what it is exactly, but let's say 10% of the supply, like a huge amount of, of the ETH supply. And here it's, Basically, it would be a similar situation. A quantum attacker, which could be a single entity or maybe a small handful of entities, could have control over 10% of, of the Bitcoin supply, this 10% being all the lost Bitcoins. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, if the Bitcoiners are going to be kind of intellectually consistent with their, their, their past uh, observations, they, they would reject the idea of... of um, 
you know, of, of confiscating these coins and just de destroying them. They would say, oh no, code is law. And, you know, the, the, the Bitcoin script was, was, was cracked and, you know, we just need to run the, the scripts as, as they're programmed and 10% of the supply is going to go to this quantum attacker. But of course, you know, this is it's just impractical, especially if you want to be like, uh, you know, m money for, for, for the world economy. It's, if you're going to have a, a 10, you know, $100 trillion of monetary energy stored in the Bitcoin network, it, it's kind of inconceivable for a single entity to have $10 trillion, you know, kind of the half the size of the M3 supply of, of, of the US dollar or something. That doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, it, it would go, all of those 10% of the Bitcoins would go to a, an indiv a single entity that would have the maximum amount of like, like hashing power, which is kind of like equivalent to proof of work, right? But instead of going through the actual proof of work route, you're just, you're just running proof of work through private keys, right? Just, now you're just doing it with quantum computers, which is interesting to think about how like the other way to get a bunch of Bitcoins is to like maximize your computational power, but now it's just in a, in a quantum uh, field. Mm. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's kind of stretching the analogy, but yeah, it's an it, interesting right. point, but oh, yeah, it's no, it's a round, it's roundabout proof of work, unintentional yeah. proof of work, not intent, not intended proof but of work. But if you take your comment literally, there's actually, this is a very deep right. observation, which is that proof of work is broken under quantum computers. Mm -hmm. If you have sufficiently advanced quantum computers, then, 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 then proof of work is, is, is essentially broken. And so, you know, one of the, the kind of the, the long-term kind of ideas of, of how Bitcoin is secured is basically you have these, these ASICs, Moore's law is broken, so that, you know, you, it's, it's basically equivalent to, 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 to proof of stake, where, you know, you have, a, a, you know, fairly, you know, homogeneous distribution of, of, of these ASICs. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it, it turns out that th th this vision is going to get potentially disrupted by com quantum computers in the sense that all the ASICs will become worthless from one day to another. Um, and you have to r go through the same growth phase um, and maturation phase that, that we've gone through. So in, in the traditional silicon world, there's been four kind of maturation phase for proof of work. We've got one from CPUs to GPUs to FPGAs and then ASICs and then kind of the, the end of Moore's law kind of ASICs, I guess five phases. Um, and then as soon as you, you, you change the paradigm, you know, you, in this quantum paradigm, then suddenly you're, you, you, you go back to, 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 to almost the genesis from a security standpoint where, you know, proof of work is, is just like Satoshi was the only miner at the very beginning, at the very beginning of this quantum era, there's going to be a single miner. Um, and mm -hmm. yes, there is going to be the difficulty adjustment and things like that, but your decentralization is basically going to go down to zero. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just going to be going to be a complete reset of the entire proof of work system, right? Exactly. Because it's going to start from like day one again. Exactly, yeah. yes. And Bitcoiners will say this is fad, you know, because maybe, you know, one of the observations is that you, you, you need quantum computers which are, you know, potentially much more advanced than the ones that can break the private key. So, you know, it's maybe an extra 10, 10 or 20 years after the, um, after these, these, these first generation quantum computers. But, you know, it's still very much a possibility that they will come and, and reset the proof of work. Mm-hmm. 
I want to pivot the conversation to back to layer zero. So you you used to be a layer one engineer, and now I kind of view you as like an, a layer zero engineer. So with thinking into the long term about the layer zero of Ethereum of this community that we're all a part of, do you have any like long term projections or wishes for the layer zero of Ethereum? What do you want it to turn into? Hmm, interesting. Um, I mean. You know, I really like the layer zero of today. I think the Ethereum, you know, uh, community and, and culture is just just so, so, so great. And I think uh, there is a risk of uh, of dilution, right? As soon as you, you grow, then, then you might dilute. But there's potentially a way out, which is basically um, abstraction. Like if we're in a position where many, many, you know, billions of people can use Ethereum without even knowing that they're using ethereum then they'd be in they effectively be at layer two but not at layer zero you know how i said that you know we're going mm-hmm. full circle basically between layer zero and, and layer two because it, it's kind of people on both sides but actually these are different people like you can be part of the community and not a user and vice versa you can be a user and not part of the community um so i think um the ideal scenario is basically where the the layer zero grows very significantly, but the quality stays very high. And I think there is actually a a possibility to to do that. And basically, the the, the kind of the filter is kind of geekiness or kind of intellectual curiosity. Like it's it's very difficult to get into Ethereum if you're not very multidisciplinary and and intellectually curious. Um, and so you kind of the in a way the, the the barrier to entry is maybe relatively high and that could be kind of a filter and then everyone else who just wants to use ethereum for its utilitarian values can just use it without understanding and so i guess it's very similar to planes like everyone uses planes but i guess the plane community like the ultra geeks <laughs> who knows how you know every single button in the cockpit and you know how the engines are made in the in in the jets and and, and things like that um that's probably a very special community which is relatively small and uh and yeah and kind of pure in that sense it seems to be that with that perspective like the whole purpose of ethereum is to like let a thousand layer zeros be born on top of layer two right so like infinity layer threes if you will just infinity communities built on top of layer twos, which are built on top of layer ones, which are built on top of the Ethereum community, which is like the layer zero. Mm, I see what you mean. Okay, so tons of communities built on top of layer two. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Each, each one with its own sets of values and principles, which they're allowed to choose from because Ethereum allowed them to choose from the full set of all values and principles because that's the value and principles of the layer zero. Mm, yes, I like that. Um, I mean, maybe maybe we could call it layer four, <laughs> and the reason is because um, in in my mental model, kind of layer three is the service layer, right? So you need all this middleware between kind of mm-hmm. the, the the smart contract and the user, um, that which is kind of layer layer three. And so, for example, Coinbase is layer three, right? There. They're, they're kind of connected to the blockchain. They make deposits and withdrawals and also things, but they provide this 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 service. And then I guess layer four would be the the 
the, the, the communities that are built on top of that. <laughs> Whoever, if there's anyone listening who wants to turn this into a graphic, Especially if you're in the bankless DAO, I'll, I'll tip 5,000 bank to whoever's in the bankless DAO who wants to turn this into a graphic so we can deliberate about this on Twitter. Ooh. Justin, I want, I want to go into a little bit more detail about, about what, what you get up to. Uh, I, I'm sure like many people in the Ethereum world, you're more or less an, a workaholic. And so you're probably in front of your computer, like, I don't know, anywhere between six and 18 hours a day. But when you cut, close the lid of your laptop, like what happens next in your life? Like, what do you go do? Right, so that is correct. I am a workaholic, um, <laughs> which is which is you know is great in the sense that I, I love what I do, but it, it definitely have has, has downsides, um, you know, in terms of of, of of health, for example, and just uh, mm -hmm. just friendships outside of work and and and, and things like that. But um, you know, I I do have a family, so I I'm I've I've been married for six years, and I have a um i have a young kid um and uh you know i guess a, a lot of my my time is just be, being a parent you know just uh spending time with my kid dropping him to school and uh teaching him you know stuff like like today for example we were we were flying a quadcopter um you know i'm at my my parents' house um and like kind of teaching him you know what goes into a quadcopter for example the fact that uh, the, sp the specific quadcopter that we have has a has a has a gps uh, and it uses gps so that uh, if there's a bit of wind it, it doesn't it doesn't drift away it kind of stays where it is and so i explained to him that basically there's these uh, you know satellites that every second produce a pulse and then all these different you know satellites are slightly uh, the pulses come at slightly different times and then the GPS chip will kind of analyze when the pulses are received and then using that, it can determine its position. And, and so, you know, I guess it's just uh, distilling a lot of the, the, the complicated technology that I've enjoyed learning kind of about on, on my own and, and passing it on to, 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 to my son. What, is he a technically inclined individual? Does he like all the, I mean, all, all boys to some degree love gadgets. Uh, what, what part of like uh, Justin Drake, the cypherpunk, do you see in, in this kid? How old is um, he? He's six. Um, six, okay. So, yeah, he's, he, you know, I mean, maybe every parent will say that, but he's, 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 pretty, he's pretty sharp um, and um, he's, yeah. he, he's capable to appreciate many different things. Um, like at, at one point he was, uh, he was really into mathematics and I think partly because of mimetic desire, you know, like I, you know, someone told him that I studied mathematics and then he wanted to do some mm. mathematics and then like, but now it looks like, it seems like he, 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 he's, he's, he's moving on. Like now, now he's really into art and, and, and crafty things and, and, and stuff like that. Um, he's also very much into languages. So my family is kind of, uh, e extremely international. So like I, 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 to kind of illustrate this, I, I say to people that uh, I was born in the UK from a British dad and an Argentinian mother. Um, and then we, we lived in China and um, I'm also Italian uh, by, by, by blood. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my wife is Russian and she, she speaks Japanese, which is what she studied at university. And so he, he's kind of inherited this, this, this international aspect. Um, you know, through, through learning all sorts of different languages. 
Um, so he has one, for example, grandmother who's, who speaks to him in, in, Fran in, in French, and then another grandmother who speaks to him in, in Russian, and then I speak to him in, 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 in English and, and, and stuff like that. Which, and he really appreciates, the, I guess, the, you know, being read you know, books in different languages and, uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> that is hilariously appropriate for somebody who's like working on the layer zero of Ethereum to have like a, a, such a diverse background of culture that like you don't actually have one specific culture. That is like the most resonant thing with <laughs> Ethereum that I can actually think of. Yeah, and I've kind of almost lost this uh, nation state identity um, in the sense that I don't even speak a single language without an accent. So I... <laughs> <laughs> that is so awesome. <laughs> so I, I lived uh, roughly half my life in France, you know, from one years old to 14 years old. And when I was 14, I guess I would consider myself kind of French. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, and then I, I went to live in China and then I, I came back to the UK and I studied there and... And I've, I've spent, you know, 14 years now in the, in the UK. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can't really say that I feel like I'm a true Brit or, or, or a true Frenchie. I'm just a citizen of the world, I guess. And, and this is even more true where, you know, I, I adhere to, I guess, the, the, the bankless nation, right? Uh, th th this is my nationality. Um, and, and I also try to, you know, detach myself you know from the nation state i actually you know i feel it's, it's a very early idea but the the, the idea of, of network state from balaji is just so mind-blowing mm -hmm. and this is this is something this is some sort of a, a meme i want to contribute towards right maybe in in 20 or 30 years mm -hmm. i could see myself um trying to build a, a network state with all the infrastructure that we're building today yeah, well, I think with this massive like regulation conversation that has arisen lately, like it's only going to accelerate the desire for people to um, have the options to opt out of their like nation state identities. Like I would never, I don't really consider myself like a patriot. I don't fly the United States flag. And I think a lot of younger generations uh, resonate with that inside of the United States. We're like being a proud supporter of America is like no longer cool for a large part of the population. And we're kind of looking towards online identities to like find, to fill that niche, right? To fill that void. Right. Um, I mean, I personally really dislike politics and I try to minimize it in my life. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I think governance is, is a fundamental part of layer zero. But uh, what, I, what I like about blockchains is this, Govern, governance minimization, right? So, you know, it, it could be argued that governance has, you know, in the lifetime of a firm only really kind of stuck its neck out, you know, in, in a big way once, which was for the DAO. Um, you know, let, let's hope that it, this, this, these kind of events don't happen very often and ideally just, just, this, just this one time um, and really try to, 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 to minimize the decisions that, that humans have to make and, and maximize the 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 just the autonomous programmable you know inspectable whatever um i think i think it's very very telling that when we talk about it at the nation state level we call it politics but when we talk about it at the crypto economic level we call it governance which is like oh, the governance has a purpose politics is a game and everyone hates politics but uh governance is like it's like this the 
the chores, like just, you got to brush your teeth, you got to fold your laundry, you got to do your laundry, you got to participate in governance. But if we can minimize governance, it's just like minimizing all the chores that we have to do every single like week of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think governance kind of highlights the utilitarian aspect of it, right? We want to do upgrades. Mm -hmm. Upgrades are fundamental because we live in this in this exponential world and also because we need to fix the various bugs. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, as you say, politics is just is just become a, a kind of a shit show, really. <laughs> right, right. I mean, a meat, a meat space shit show. Yeah. Depending on it, every every person has their interpretation of politics and it's generally always negative. Um, OK, so going back to my original question, like when you close your laptop and, and what you get up to, uh, but excluding your family say Justin, Justin Drake has some like alone time, some Justin, some Justin time. What is what's Justin time look like? Hmm. OK. Um, I mean, one of the things that I that I do is uh, improvise on the piano. Um, so really? Yeah. Oh, shit. Um, so. You know, I, I I used to take uh, you know, a piano lessons when I was younger, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I I I kind of find it constraining to to have to adhere to what's written on on the page and and the specific notes. And so, mm -hmm. you know, at one point I was like, uh, you know, I just want to do my 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 own stuff. And uh, and I think creativity is 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 one of the things that uh, you know. I, I, I do a lot in my daily job and, you know, I guess it, it makes sense to try and, and reflect that in, 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 the, in, the, in the music. Um, but yeah, so it took me, it took me some time to basically um, have the, the, the confidence, you know, I, I, at first I was just playing random notes. It was, it was kind of a, a genetic algorithm, right? I was, I was playing these, these random notes, but then suddenly I started making patterns uh, and then I started making um, kind of these, these small snippets and then now I'm in a position where, you know, I can go on the piano and just, just, just improvise for, you know, for hours. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you, have you, uh, do you connect those dots between like your, uh, lack of interest of being aligned to a nation state, which is generally like a top down ideology to like your lack of interest of being taught how to play piano and rather your desire to like be more creative and improvise. Do you connect those two things at all? Or, or, or any other like aspects of your life that fit into that pattern? No, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've always been a little rebellious. Um, you know, even in the, the French education system, like the, the French education system is very, very top down and rule driven and kind of bureaucratic and whatnot. And uh, I, I just uh, very naturally just went against the, 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 the rules. I mean, I mean, so, sometimes, you know, I, I had a teacher which would kind of embrace this aspect of me. So, you know, there was this, this, uh, this story where, I mean, it's a little, <laughs> I'm a little ashamed to say it, but basically there's, uh, the, my, my, my brother had this, the same teacher as I had in kind of in, in, in middle school. And my brother asked, like, was there any kind of genius in, 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 your, in your class? Uh, so he he asked the teacher, and, and the teacher said no, no, there was no one. And I, 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 and and then she said, oh, actually, maybe that we, I did have one genius, but only in one specific domain, which was the mathematics, and that that was you know me. Um, and um, and the reason she thought I was a genius is because I was, I was I'm not I'm not not non video genius, but the reason why I gave the impression that I was a genius is because whenever there was a math problem, I would solve it in a completely different way 
than the way I was mm -hmm. taught. So basically it was kind of a roundabout mm -hmm. way and, she, and the right. teacher didn't really understand what I was doing, but she always said, Justin came up, always came up with the right answer, but kind of the wrong method, <laughs> if it were. <laughs> and she kind of embraced that and, and was fine with it. But uh, a lot of other teachers in the French education didn't, didn't like it so much. And so that, that caused a little bit of tension, I guess. It, it's really interesting to connect this. Again, this podcast is called Layer Zero. And so we have this like non-nation state identified rebel who likes to be creative and, and route around problems to discover the right answer. Like too many of these things are lining up with like how uh, Ethereum and, and crypto economic networks mm. like operate at scale at large, like throughout the layer ones and, and the layer twos. And like part, part of my goals with this podcast with layer zero is to like discover the ways that like the DNA of, of humans and the neurons of humans relates to the code that we write. Uh, and so I'm seeing a, a massive like direct one to one connection with like mm. kind of the stories that you're telling me and how like these this whole entire industry is like built upon. Yeah. I mean, I'll say that I also have kind of a, a bit of a hacker mindset. You know, I try to find mm -hmm. the vulnerabilities. I try to find the cracks. I try to take a route which no one expects and is kind of hidden. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm kind of the. the proudly have a kind of a $1,000 bounty for, for reporting a, a pretty bad Google Chrome vulnerability um, that could basically uh, allow, allow an attacker to basically take screenshots of your, of your, of, of your, of your desktop remotely. Um, but I, I also kind of use this, this hacker mindset in, in research, right? Because in, in research, oftentimes you have a problem and it looks like there's some sort of impossibility result like you can't do something and, and like the way that you escape impossibility results is is kind of by redefining the problem or redefining the assumptions um you you really don't want to take for granted things that other people took for granted and and basically re relax the problem in very subtle ways where, where where suddenly you you open up a design space um and so yeah th this is something that i like doing is um kind of taking something where People seem stuck, you know, they're not, they're no longer making progress. They thought about it for a long time uh, and they believe it's impossible. And then kind of coming in with fresh eyes and saying, and a new perspective and saying, actually, if you tweak your, your viewpoint just a little bit, there is a way around it. Interesting. Fantastic. Well, Justin Drake, it's been a wonderful time having you on Layer Zero, and I hope this is not the last time that we hear we talk about this and all these subjects, and I hope to have you back for more. Fantastic. Thanks for having me.